So I'm going to read for us um, Matthew 24. It's Matthew 24 and it's verses 36 to 44. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So imagine, you know, entering a room and you find a beautifully wrapped present on a table. And attached to the present is a label that reads, this present is for you. Don't open it now. Wait. Would you wait? <laughs> no, I know I would struggle to wait, you know. I would be having a wee sneaky peek. It would sit there for a while and then I'd be like, do you know what, I'm just going to have a wee, I'm going to have a wee sneaky peek. I've done this before, actually. <laughs> you know, I'd have a wee sneaky peek, see what it was, you know. I've got no patience. You know, I want everything right now. So once I'd had that wee sneaky peek and seen what it was like, I'd be like, oh, okay, and then I would sell it, tape it back up again. <laughs> I wonder in reality, you know, how many of us would obey the command to wait. I think many of us would say, would, would not. <laughs> but our society is built upon having things now, isn't it? Buy now, pay later. So many adverts, you know, have that message of why wait? Waiting is becoming a strange notion. You know, we've become accustomed to immediacy, fast action. You know, I remember when I was wee, you know, when to find something out, you had to go to the library, you know. <laughs> now you can just Google it, all this information, you know, just at the, the, a wee click. And today we begin the season of Advent, this season that is dedicated to waiting. But just like our culture is fast-paced, we can actually rush Advent and focus solely on Christmas, can't we? You know, so what seems to have happened, especially I think over the past few years, you know, you've got that tingle of anticipation, you know, looking to what Christmas is going to bring. You know, we're encouraged, you know, to anticipate Christmas, um, you know, in other senses, uh, but not in the sense of, you know, not in the sense of looking forward, but in the sense of bringing it forward and beginning celebrating early. 
you know, this is certainly true in the shops, isn't it? You know, we've had decorations up, you know, earlier and earlier. Preparing for Christmas can mean for many people, you know, beginning Christmas early. And as someone who struggles with overeating and diabetes, you know, I've become aware, you know, of that encouragement, you know, in our culture, you know, to start indulging in the goodies and the sweet treats that used to be just for Christmas, you know, but they're now being encouraged to, you know, indulge in them earlier and earlier. When I worked in the office in uh, John Lewis, you know, we were eating, you know, the Christmas goodies, I think, from the very start of December, you know. Oh, now, I haven't seen much of it this year um, on social media, but in the past few years, um, I've seen that people, you know, have been putting their Christmas trees up earlier and earlier. Some people, it was in November. Some people, it was like straight after Halloween. They were like, oh, I've got my Christmas tree up. I'm a last minute nearly, you know. My Michael would always moan at me for putting up our Christmas tree around the 23rd of December. You know, that's something that my mum would always do, you know. I don't know if it was just because she couldn't be bothered or if she really was thinking, oh, we're waiting for Christmas, we're waiting for Christmas. But it would always be as near to Christmas as possible. So what should we do? You know, culture and expectations have changed and, and celebrating uh, Christmas is now, you know, wildly accepted as beginning at least halfway through December, if not earlier. But what can happen then is people get fed up with Christmas before it even arrives. Again, looking at social media, you know, it made me quite sad the past few years when I've seen posts from people who, who are like on the 27th of December Right, that's it. I'm fed up with it all. I'm taking all the decorations down. I'm getting the house back to normal. You know, and you're thinking, you're rushing it, you know. Enjoy it. If we rush Advent, we can rush Christmas too. So how do we celebrate Advent in a way that enhances the season and the month of December and that enables us to anticipate Christmas properly? And the sense of looking forward to it, preparing ourselves and becoming ready rather than the sense of starting too early. So if we want to embrace Advent fully, I think we maybe, some of us anyway, might have to re- need to relearn how to wait and embracing the present, savouring the future to come. Being in the present and finding meaning in the act of waiting. Being present is such an important aspect of the season of Advent. Now, I used to go about juggling all my responsibilities. You know, I'd be doing one task, but I'd be thinking about how I was going to, you know, I was, how I was going to handle a future meeting, you know, an upcoming meeting, what was happening that day. And I'd do this as well before I would go to the, you know, before work, I would put out the horses. And we used to have a horse called Dolly. And I'd find in the mornings, she would be really, really naughty, right? She'd be just, she'd push me about, she'd headbutt me, you know, headbutt me out the way, nudge me. And I would try and give her carrots, you know, to try and get her to behave while I was walking her to the field. She'd give me big, big 
nudges, big headbutts. And I was starting to feel a wee bit unsafe, you know, with her as we walked to the field. Um, at the weekend, she was brilliant, you know, you didn't get any of this. And so I was like, you know, what's going on here? And I realised that it was because during the week I wasn't fully present with her. I was there in, you know, I was there in body, I was there physically, but my mind was racing elsewhere. You know, you think about all the things I had to do at work that day. So I began to train myself to be fully in, fully present. So when I stepped on the yard, you know, that was a, I'd be, you know, before I would go on, I would be still. I would clear my mind. I'd hand over all that was in, all the busyness of the day to God. And I really began then living in the present. It's amazing that that horse taught me that. And for me being fully present, Dolly then was a, a darling to handle. Oh, she was lovely and calm and gentle. Every morning, not just the weekends. And this wasn't just good for my relationship with the horses, but learning to be present helped with my mental health and human relationships too. But it isn't just be about being present in Advent. Paula Gooder says that one of the oddest things about Advent is that it requires us to wait for something that happened in the past, as well as something that's not yet happened. It's the double vision of Advent that we look both backwards with expectation as we wait for the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but also look forwards with anticipation to the end times. And, and we, can, you know, we can go back further as well. We can look at the Old Testament and see all the times that God has interacted with the world, with humanity to save people, you know, peoples and nations, to save individuals. And in waiting for the past, we're telling and retelling the story of salvation so that we can reorganize it when it breaks, and we can recognize it, sorry, when it breaks into our world. The message of salvation is that God is the kind of God who breaks into our world to heal to liberate, to create, to save, to raise things from the dead. And God has done it so often through history, but we need to be reminded so we are able to recognize it, recognize these moments when they appear again before our eyes. And in Advent, when we wait for something that has happened in sure knowledge that it will happen again, it gives us hope. Now, we lit the Advent wreath at the start of our service. And traditionally, each of the candles is associated with a character who shows something of what the wait for Jesus entails. Now, the first candle which we lit today, as well as being you know, associated with hope, is associated with the patriarchs. Abraham, in particular, teaches us so much about waiting, doesn't he? Abraham followed God's command in Genesis 12, verse 1, um, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And in return, God says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. 
and I will bless you. God promises that Abraham will be a father, but years pass. And even though Abraham has did what God asked, you know, what God asked him to, Abraham and his wife Sarah cannot get pregnant. And this is a source of pain and desperation for the couple. The waiting, the flickers of hope, followed by the despair of not yet, you know, not, not yet happening again. It won't be are enough to turn anyone to desperate actions. And after waiting so long, Sarah loses hope and takes matters into her own hands and asks Abraham to have a child with her maidservant Hagar. And there is pain and there's disputes between the women when Hagar and her son has her son Ishmael. But Ishmael isn't the son God has promised for Abraham and Sarah. This taking matters into their own hands isn't what God had planned. And even though she's an elderly woman and a cynical one at that, she does eventually bear her own child. God's promise is fulfilled. The story of Abraham and Sarah is a story of waiting. The promise that first summoned them from their home remains unfilled at the end of what seems like their story. But Abraham's descendants, they're not yet a multitude, but his descendants under Joshua eventually are multitudes and settle in the land promised to them. And through Abraham and Sarah, we see how God works in human lives. Abraham and Sarah become symbols not only of faith, but also of waiting. Waiting is such an essential part of our journey with God. And waiting being vital for the proper unfolding of God's plan and the waiting being as important actually as the thing that we're waiting for. In the waiting, we are changed and we can find meaning. So in Advent, we're, we're, we're being still and we're being present and we have the waiting on the past, but we also have this waiting on the future, which is, you know, what we are anticipating in the scripture passage that I read for us today. In Matthew 24, verse 3, Jesus' disciples approached him with a question of when his second coming was going to be and what the signs of were for the end of the age. Now, in verses 4 to 35, which I didn't read, um, Jesus predicts a time of great upheaval when there'll be both international conflict and personal suffering. It also appears that Jesus predicts the fall of the Temple of Jerusalem, which was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Now, the Gospel writer Matthew is likely to have known about the fall of the Temple in Jerusalem because this traumatic event destabilized the worship of God for a generation. And Matthew and Luke, Luke in 21, 20, verses 20 to 24, describes this event in great detail as well. Um, both Matthew and Luke describe it in more detail than Mark, who probably wrote it before the fall of the temple. But all three gospel writers draw on that tradition of apocalyptic writing uh, where ap appalling events are interpreted as signs of God's judgment. But in today's scripture reading, 
uh, which just follows on from that. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that that there's there's no way of foretelling the precise events which will usher in the end of the age and the final coming of the Son of Man. Only God knows this. These events are as unforeseen and as unexpected as the days of Noah or the breaking, in of a, or breaking into a house of a burglar. Men and women will be engaged in their usual occupations, cultivating the field, grinding the corn, enjoying human fellowship, you know, marrying, giving their children in marriage, you know, going to the shops, you know, going for a walk, driving their car. The Son of Man will come in a moment when he is least expected. And even though they don't know when he'll return and shouldn't speculate, Jesus tells his disciples and us, you know, to urgently keep awake. And this becomes the pivot for all that he says to them, you know, as he swings away from vivid descriptions of what will happen and towards stories stressing how important it is to be prepared. We read about the householder who was not prepared for the nighttime thief. The emphasis is on waiting expectantly, not allowing apathy or impatience to blunt our focus even when we have no idea when the long-awaited event will happen. Keep awake. These verses are a warning never to let our concern with worldly affairs, however necessary, completely distract us from remembering that there is a God and that the issues of life and death are in his hands and that whenever his call comes, it must find us ready. So are we prepared for God's calling on our lives? We may think of ourselves as being like the disciples that Jesus called from mending their nets, who immediately left all that and followed him. But in reality, many of us probably are more like those who said, first let me bury my father and let me say farewell to those back home and did not commit fully to Jesus. Partly this is about not putting off things that we know need doing in our lives. Perhaps, you know, in our prayer life, you know, maybe that needs attention. Or maybe we need to make ourselves more familiar with exactly what it is that Jesus said and did by reading scripture more often or with greater depth. Maybe it is making the connection between both of those and everything that makes up our everyday life. Or to put it another way, are we sure that being a follower of Jesus, walking God's way, playing our part in making God's kingdom a present reality is something we are and that we are doing and not just something that we know and talk about. Paula Gooder says that the element of future waiting in Advent collapses just as waiting for the past does. Collapses time just as waiting for the past does. Yeah, so the element of future waiting in Advent collapses time just as waiting for the past does. Entering the biblical worldview, which focuses on the future culmination, uh, glory of all our present suffering and woe, changes the present 
because it invites us to strive to make real in the present a little of that glorious future held open for us through the past death and resurrection of Jesus. So Advent calls us into the active state of waiting, a state that recognizes and embraces God's presence in the world, that recalls and celebrates God's historic yet ever-present actions that speak the truth of our almost but not quite Christian loving, which yearns for but cannot achieve divine perfection. But most of all, Advent calls us to be the present moment, to a still but active, a tranquil yet steadfast commitment to the life that we live now.